0: We are back in Genesis for just one week. We're going to bite off one section of Genesis this morning. Uh, The way Genesis is structured, some of you might know this, some of you may not, uh, it actually, I think it was originally 11 different books uh, composed in days of old, perhaps by men like Adam and Abraham themselves, Preserved down through the years, their family and genealogical records, but then under the prophet Moses, stitched together, put in the form of Genesis that we know today, in the inspiration of God, I believe, in the tent of meeting when the Lord was speaking to Moses when they were wandering out in the desert. And that means you can see those 12 at least sections, we might call them books of Genesis, that are separated by the words, these are the generations of. It'll start with, these are the generations of Abraham. And then it will tell the story of not Abraham, but Abraham's sons, Isaac and Ishmael. And then it'll say, these are the generations of Isaac. And then it'll tell the story, not of Isaac, but of Isaac's sons, Jacob and Esau. And today we get to one of the smallest sections in the book. The two around it are very big the generations of Isaac and the generations of Jacob today we look at the generations of Esau Esau was a character that was he was strange in the story he was interesting he was the younger of two twin brothers his father having received a great promise from God his father Isaac would be the father of many descendants and those descendants would fill an entire nation and they would conquer the land of Canaan one day, driving out the inhabitants and landing in it themselves. And one of their descendants would be a great one who would save everyone and be a blessing to every nation. And it was going to be either through Jacob or through Esau that all this happened, these two twin sons. And it was told beforehand that Esau would forfeit his share in the promise. And he did. He made choices that forsook the promise. And so he is this strange character who, is there dwelling among the people of God, you might say like blessed by proximity, like because he's Isaac's son, he gets blessed anyway, but he ultimately rejects the promise of God, uh, doesn't receive the promises of God, and we'll see in this story actually walks away from the land and the promises. We're going to dive into his genealogy today, the story that answers the question, well, whatever became of Esau when we last saw him riding off into the land of Seir? And as we do, we'll do it by reading a genealogical record, which has like 1% of you very excited because I know some of you had a phase where you got into familytree.com and you really like this stuff, right? And you know then, if you got into that stuff, you know two things, uh, one, these records tell a story, right? That's why you were interested in your family's heritage, because you know that in that, this person had this son and this person had, there's a story behind that. And even more important, it's not just a story, but it's our story, right? Uh, because my mom had a phase where she was in, I think it was family tree maker at the time for a while. And she learned about our family's story of immigrating from the Ukraine around 1900. And they went to Canada first out in the prairie and settled. And then they came down to Florida. And then that's how my dad was born. And I I know all that story now. And all of a sudden, uh, my sister makes a lot more sense. Like my family makes more sense because I know our story. And even my own tendencies make more sense because I know our story. Well, this is part of Israel's story, their brother Esau, whatever became of him. What it's gonna show us is a little bit about those people in our lives who lived much of their life near to the people of God, maybe even dwelling among the people, going to a church, maybe raised in the church, maybe married to somebody who is a Christian, uh, very blessed by proximity to the teaching of the word of God and by sitting in the pews and being among his people, maybe by having a Christian spouse, but ultimately choosing not to receive the promise of the gospel, and in some cases, even, even walking away. For some of us, this is our kids, our grandkids, our parents, our spouses, people that puzzle us. that so we say, I, I sat under the same preaching that, that they did, and I stayed, and they walked away. And they, they have a blessed life because of their time in church and the principles that that gave them. But they never received the gospel, and and I did. What's going on there? Well, there's a strong parallel between Jacob and Esau with that too. Both of them very blessed. Both of them in the same family. Both of them hearing the promises. But one of them saying, I will take them as mine. And the other saying, no thanks, I, I will not take these promises. So as we read the story of Esau together then, and as we stumble through pronouncing all of the funny names Uh, The Lord, I think, will explain to us a little bit about those people in our lives, and maybe you're one of them here today. Maybe you're close to the church, but you never quite received that gospel promise. The Lord Lord has a word for you then as well. We're going to start with the first two paragraphs of Genesis 36. This is a lot to bite off, so we're going to take it slowly. The first two paragraphs, we see what became of Esau himself. Genesis 36, starting at verse 1. These are the generations of Esau, that is, Edom. Esau took his wives from the Canaanites Adah, the daughter of Elon the Hittite, Oholibama, the daughter of Anna, the daughter of Zabian the Hivite, and Basimath, Ishmael's daughter, sister of Nebeiah. And Adah bore Esau, to Esau, Eliphaz, Basimath, and Boruel. And Oholibama, bore Jehosh, Jalem, and Korah. These are the sons of Esau who were born to him when he was in the land of Canaan. Then Esau took his wives, his sons, his daughters, all the members of his household, his livestock, all his beasts, all his property that he acquired in the land of Canaan. He went into a land away from his brother Jacob, for their possessions were too great for them to dwell together. The land of their sojournings could not support them because of their livestock. So Esau settled in the hill country of Seir. Esau is Edom. Well, let's pause there and we'll learn a little bit right there. So what Esau is doing here, he has thus far in his life had the promises of God before him, but made choices that forsook the promise. You might remember the story of him giving his blessing to Jacob for a pot of stew uh, and then later on, being cheated out of his blessing. And so, in some ways, making some choices there that were a part of that. He has not received the promise. What he is doing here in these two paragraphs is fully and finally forsaking it by not walking in the way of the promise and even leaving the land of the promise. Now, again, God had promised to this family. Your sons are going to become numerous and they are going to drive out the inhabitants of this land, the Canaanites, and they're going to dwell here as a nation. Now, in order for that to happen, they need to try to live there in that land and they need to avoid marrying with the people of that land because our sons can't drive out their sons if our sons and their sons are the same people, right? So they can't marry then among the Canaanite people. This is part of the way of receiving that promise and having faith in that promise. Esau does the exact opposite. First, he takes not a wife from the Canaanites, but multiple wives from the Canaanites, rebelling not just against the promise, but against the very way of God set forth in the garden. One man and one woman, man leaves father and mother and he's united to one wife. He takes multiple wives from the Canaanites, the very people he was not supposed to take a wife from. And then when his possessions become great, his brother Jacob is away, ironically looking for a wife in another land so that he doesn't marry a Canaanite woman. Esau sees his own possessions becoming great and says, well, we can't both dwell here together. By the time he comes back, I've got to be out of here. He could have gone somewhere else in the promised land. There's plenty of land there, but instead he chooses to leave the land of promise, forsaking not just the way of the promise, but the very land that was promised to him. This is his way of saying, I have heard about these promises, but I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to build my family my kingdom, my descendants after me, and the land of my choosing. And along the ways of my choosing, I'll take these women as my wives. Instead of pleasing my parents by doing this, I will dwell over here in this land of Seir, away from the land of promise. And in that way, he makes a very strong parallel to these people in our lives that we know who have sat under good preaching and have heard the promises of God and even been blessed by those promises, but at the end of the day have said, no, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to live my way. I'm going to go do my own thing, and I'm not going to receive the promises of the gospel. Friends we grew up with, family members we grew up with, some of us, our parents, our spouses, our children. Our grandchildren. Esau helps us to understand them. And so we're going to look this morning at four truths for those who have been blessed by being among the people of God but have not received the promise of the gospel itself. I'm going to say them in the second person as if you were one of them, just in case you might be one of them yourselves. You may be thinking of someone else that you know and you love. First thing we need to know, if you've been among God's people for a long time, you've been blessed by their presence, but you haven't received the gospel, first thing you need to know is God has been generous to you because he favors you. We see this in how well Esau does. You can look, for instance, at verse 6. When it's time for him to leave, he takes... It's a long list. All his wives, all his sons, all his daughters, the members of his household, his livestock, all his beasts, all his property that he'd acquired in the land of Canaan. The point of that long sentence is Esau had a lot of stuff, right? He was very blessed with descendants, with possessions, with livestock. And we have to pause and ask, well, why is this man who forsook the promises of God so very blessed still? Well, the answer is because he's a grandson of Abraham. And God had promised Abraham, you will have many nations come from you, many descendants, as numerous as the stars in the sky, and you'll be very blessed. The ones that bless you will be blessed. The ones that curse you will be cursed. So here is Esau, not receiving it, yet still being blessed because he's a grandson of Abraham. God's really good to him. And you may look about your life and wonder, well, why has God blessed me so much, even though I keep hearing this message and choosing not to come forward and receive the gospel of Jesus? And the answer is because He's just open-handedly generous to you. He just loves you and shows you so much favor. Perhaps to have given you Christian parents who raised you well, if that's what you had. Or perhaps to have given you to a good church where the gospel was preached and you heard the good news. Or to have given you godly Sunday school teachers who taught you truth from error and how to live versus how not to live. And you've got a good moral framework and a good moral structure and you're wondering, why why am I so blessed if I kept walking away from this? The answer is that God has an open hand toward you. There are other people like this in the scriptures. Uh, Ishmael, for instance, uh, very much like Esau, a brother to Isaac. Uh, does not receive the promise, even mocks the one who does receive the promise, is driven out, but then he becomes a great man in Egypt, very blessed by God. Many in the nation of Israel itself, many descendants of Jacob, living among the people of God, living under kings like David and Solomon, very blessed under their reign, very prosperous under their reign, and hearing about the law and the good ways of God and the good promises of God, but choosing not to believe and not to hope in a coming Messiah. So unbelieving people living in Israel, blessed by all the blessings that are given to Israel. This is why, for instance, later on in Israel's history, you have people like the Pharisees who aren't people of faith, most of them. When Jesus comes, they are not ready to receive the Messiah who comes because in their hearts, they don't love him. In their hearts, they hate him. But they found some good things in the law and they found some good fortune by teaching the law. Like they've been very blessed by God's law. They have so much and they get a cool robe and a headdress and all this great stuff because they're so blessed to be among the people of God and to know his ways and his laws. But ultimately, they've chosen not to hope in the Messiah and not to receive the Messiah when he has come. There are many people like this today. Uh, many people who grew up in a church and are so blessed by the good teaching they got there. Their whole moral form. their marriage today is blessed because they know a little about marriage because they grew up in a church. At their job, they know how to work hard and they know what to do because they were taught well in their church. But ultimately, they're not willing to receive the promise of the gospel. Why is God so good to them? Because he is just open-handedly generous. He has just shown you great favor Because he loves you. There's the first thing we can learn there. Esau is very blessed just because God's hand is open to him. Okay, second, we'll read uh, a little bit more. Esau will receive in verses 9 through 14 many descendants, blessed even more. I'll just read them off to you. We'll stumble through the names together. These are the generations of Esau, the father of the Edomites, in the hill country of Seir. These are the names of Esau's sons. Eliphaz, the son of Ada, the wife of Esau. Ruel, the son of Basimath, the wife of Esau. The sons of Eliphaz were Teman, Omar, Zepho, Gatim, and Kinnas. Timnah was a concubine of Eliphaz, Esau's son, and she bore Amalek to Eliphaz. If you know who the Amalekites are, there's their ancestor. These are the sons of Ada, Esau's wife. These are the sons of Rule, Nahath, Zerah, Shama, and Mizah. These are the sons of Basimath, Esau's wife. These are the sons of Bama, the daughter of Ea, the daughter of Zebeon, Esau's wife. She bore to Esau, Jeus, Jalem, and Korah. So here we have more great blessing to Esau. He's not only just blessed in possessions, blessed with many descendants, children, and grandchildren, the highest honor that you could have in the ancient world. But what we'll see next is things are going to get very interesting. Esau doesn't just get descendants, possessions. We're going to see the word chiefs in a minute, and then the word kings. Esau's descendants become chieftains and then even a great kingdom before Israel becomes the kingdom. God is open-handedly blessing this man. Here's what happens. These are the chiefs of the sons of Esau, the sons of Eliphaz, the firstborn of Esau. The chiefs, Timon, Omar, Zepho, Kenaz, Korah, Gatim, and Amalek. These are the chiefs of Eliphaz in the land of Edom. These are the sons of Adah. These are the sons of Ruel, Esau's sons, the chiefs of Nahath, Zerah, Shama, and Mizah. These are the chiefs of Ruel in the land of Edom. These are the sons of Basabath, Esau's wife. These are the sons of Aholibama, Esau's wife, the chiefs Jehus, Jalem, Korah. And these are the chiefs born to Aholibamah, the daughter of Anna, Esau's wife, these are the sons of Esau, that is Edom, and these are their chiefs. Okay, so now his descendants are powerful men, chiefs in the land. They're becoming quite a kingdom. Uh, next, we'll read a little more about their sons. These are the sons of Seir, the Horite, the inhabitants of the land. Lotan, Shobal, Zibion, Ada, Dishan, Ezer, and Dishan. These are the chiefs of the Horites, the sons in the land of Seir and the land of Edom. The sons of Lotan were Horai and Himam. Lotan's sister was Timnah. These are the sons of Shobal, Alvan, Manahath, Ebal, Sheppo, and Onam. These are the sons of Zabiam, Aiah, and Anah. He is the Anah who found the hot springs in the wilderness, and he pastured, as he pastured, the donkeys of Zabian, his father. These are the children of Anan, Dishon and Aholibama, the daughter of Ana. These are the sons of Dashan, Hemdan, Eshban, Ithran, and Cheran. These are the sons of Ezra, Bilhan, Zahavan, and Achan. These are the sons of Dashan, Uz, and Aaron. These are the chiefs of the Horites, the chiefs of Lotan, Shobal and Zabian and Anah and Dishon and Ezer and Dishan. These are the chiefs of the Horites, chief by chief in the land of Seir. So, okay, we're getting big now. We got chiefs, but here comes a, you know, a bigger word in verse 31. These are the kings who reigned in the land of Edom before any king reigned over the Israelites. Bela, the son of Beor, reigned in Edom, and the name of his city was Dinhabah. Bela died, and Jobab, the son of Zerah of Bozrah, reigned in his place. Jobab died, and Husham of the land of the Timonites reigned in his place. Husham died, and Hadad, the son of Bedad, who defeated Midian in the country of Moab, reigned in his place, the name of his city being Avith. Hadad died, and Shemla of Masrika reigned in his place. Shamla died, and Shaul of Rehoboth of the Euphrates, reigned in his place. Shaul died, and baal Hanan, the son of Akbor, reigned in his place. Baal-Hanan, the son of Akbor, died, and Hadar, Hadar reigned in his place. The names of his city being Pau. His wife's name was Mehedabel, the daughter of Matred, the daughter of Mezahab. So, lots of names. Point is, Esau's lineage becomes first so big that they have chiefs reigning over him. Chiefs come from Esau. But that's not all. Eventually, it becomes not just tribes and chiefs, but a great kingdom, big enough to defeat the Moabites nearby. Esau builds his own way a great kingdom. And he builds it faster than Jacob's sons build a kingdom. And that's how we arrive at our second point today. You can build for yourself a pretty great kingdom by going your own way. This helps us understand why are there so many people who come to a church and hear the, the advice for life on good marriage and good work and how to defeat anxiety and things like that, receive that. They don't receive the promise of the gospel But they're able to build like pretty good, flourishing lives, learning how to defeat anxiety from the Bible, learning how to have a good marriage from the Bible, learning how to do well at work from the Bible. Why that has even blossomed into a whole suburban religion of whole churches, it seems, dedicated just to the life advice, just to the wisdom, so I can grow and flourish in my great suburban life. Why does that, to a degree, work? Well, it worked for Esau too, just a nearness to the promises of God, just a nearness to the teaching of God and the open-handed blessing of God. Well, it does pay some temporary dividends. This can also help us to understand why some of our children and grandchildren have been raised in the church and walked away from the faith and the gospel. And some of them, it doesn't go well for them, but I know some of them, It's like, well, they actually, you know, they did all right in life, you know, successful in work, pretty good marriage, like he and his wife are doing well, and they seem to be doing okay without the church in their lives and without the Bible in their lives. Why is that working? Well, we see in Esau's story that you can build a pretty good kingdom walking away from God's ways. I think Jesus acknowledges this at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, uh, The one who hears my words and does them is like the one who builds his house on the rock. Right? The rains come and the storms come and it beat against that house and it doesn't fall. Right? The one who hears my words and does not do them, right? the Esau's who go their own way, is like the one who builds his house on a sand. And the rains come and the storms come and the flood rises and that house falls with a great crash. An important detail in that story is that both of those men built a great house. You can, you can build up something pretty good going your own way. Now, I've already given away the ending. How does the parable end? The storm comes and the house falls. And that's where we get to our third point as we finish out the story. Let me read out the rest of the story. Then I'll tell you what happens next to Esau, and we'll arrive at two more points. Finishing it out, these are the names of the chiefs of Esau, according to their clans and their dwelling places. By their names, the chiefs Timnah, Alva, Jeheleth, Aholibama, Ella, Pinon, Kenaz, Timon, Mibzar, Magdiel, and Eram. These are the chiefs of Edom. That is Esau, the father of Edom according to their dwelling places and land of their possession. Last verse is important. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, the land of Canaan. Now that last verse is in there to contrast Jacob and Esau. The point is Esau left, Jacob stayed. He wanted to receive those promises. That finishes out the story there. Now, the first readers of that genealogy would be the Israelites walking through the desert on their way to the promised land. And they would be really familiar with something that's either about to happen to them or has just happened to them. They needed to get to their promised land and they had to go through, guess what land? The land of Edom, the descendants of Esau, to get there. And their brothers, the descendants of Esau, come out and say, nope, you can't pass through our land. And they basically say, please? And the Edomites come back with an army and say, definitely not. And that's kind of the end of that. And there's this feel in the story that, ooh, this has gone bad. Looks like God might be taking care of them soon because that didn't go well. So that's kind of the lens they're reading through the, this through. Eventually, what will happen is, indeed, their kingdom has become great. They already have kings by the end of the Exodus. Eventually, the Lord will raise up Israel in due time. The kingdom of God will begin to be built, and King David will reign powerfully and strong. And when he does, he conquers the Edomites completely. And so now they're under the subject of King David. Their kingdom essentially falls. The descendants, though, they remain, and they're a known people. The Edomites are still around. In fact, when things go bad for Israel, and Israel gets hauled off into exile, the Edomites are still alive. They don't have chiefs and kings, I don't think, anymore, but they're, they're still there, at least. And they begin to mock the sons of Israel. <laughs> Look what your God did to you. And so the prophet Obadiah rises up. One of the shortest books in the Bible, Obadiah, only, I think, 18 or 20 verses, and he speaks the end of the kingdom of Edom. The Lord's going to wipe the whole thing out. The People will remain, but the kingdom will be gone. So this great kingdom that Esau builds, it rises up quickly, but eventually it crashes. And that's where we get to the third point today. That kingdom that you're building, it's going to fall. It's going to crash. This time of year, I'm always struck by how quickly the crabgrass dies. Anybody care about their lawn and notice that? Man, you walk out and wherever that light green grass was, boom. First frost comes and it's just gone. Uh, I think crabgrass makes a good parable for what life without Christ, kingdom building without Christ can be like. You walk out one day in June, and it's just like, where did all that stuff come from? Like, boom, it just rises up so fast, and it's so flourishing looking at first, and then it spreads so much more quickly than real grass does. I look up to the Lord, and I say, why does the weed grow so much faster than the real thing that I'm trying to grow in my lawn? But there it is, outpacing the real grass. You're trying to chase. It out, it's growing, it's all over the place. The leaves are thicker, it's tougher to mow. And and you're wondering why that real grass is just kind of slowly growing, slowly spreading, slowly taking over the lawn. And then this time of year comes, and that first frost hits, and boom, it's just all gone. Where did the crabgrass grow? It was so hardy, it grew so quickly, and now it's just gone. Meanwhile, the real grass. Endures that first frost, right? And now you're back to a lawn full of good, real grass. The kingdoms we build apart from the Lord are the same way. Sometimes, man, they spring up real fast, they flourish, they grow so quickly. And we're like, how did he build that company that quickly? How did he build that country? That, how did he build his career up and his marriage? and all, How did he do all that so quickly, just blatantly walking against the ways of the Lord? And then the trial comes and the kingdom doesn't last. Or then, worst case, the end of a good life comes and he goes home to meet the Lord that he's rebelled against for his whole life. You hear the promises of God, you hear the ways of God, and you say, I'm going to reject the promises, I'm going to take the ways that I like, and I'm going to reject the rest of the ways. You can build a house like that, but you're building a house in the sand, and the storm's going to come, whether it's trial in this life or judgment in the next life, the storm is going to come, and the house is going to fall with a great crash. Now, as we think of the people in our lives who have heard these promises, heard the gospel, walked away from it, living decent lives today, some of them, this is the part that should scare us, The storm's going to come. They're building a house that cannot last in the judgment. And so as we look at them, we should be scared for those people. The fourth point we're going to make is that God wants you back. Here's what eventually becomes of Esau. Uh, Obadiah predicts that the nation is going to come to an end. And let me read to you the last verse of Obadiah. Here's what's going to happen to them. The nation's going to come to an end, but the people are not. Very last verse, verse 21. Now we know there's 21 verses in Obadiah saviors shall go up to mount zion to rule mount esau and the kingdom shall be the lord's now that's a bit obscure probably tough to what does that mean essentially what he's saying is that the descendants of esau are going to become part of the kingdom of god and ruled again by the kingdom of god huh and here's what actually happens after the exile, the Persians come through the land, they conquer Babylon, and they allow Israel to go back to their homeland. And then they force the people called the Idumeans, which are the descendants of Edom, they start to go by the name the Idumeans, they force them to live in the land of Judea in Israel, where they wind up incorporated into Israelite religion and they become part of the Jewish people. So they actually get grafted back into the people of Israel. They mix in with the people of Israel so much that by the time Jesus walked the earth, a descendant of Esau wouldn't have thought of himself as a descendant of Esau, but just one of the Jews, a descendant of Jacob. The The king of Israel is ruling the people of Edom. Again, the kingdom is the Lord's again. So here is this whole nation of people that have walked away from God's ways, and he says, I'm bringing you back. I'm not done with you. I want you back. And if you are here this morning and you're looking at your life, you've lived so far, and you can say, Yeah, I have heard at times the preaching of the gospel, I have heard the ways of God, and I've been blessed. By them. I have, I have a good life because I've been taught right and wrong. And I had a good Sunday school teacher. I didn't have one of those bad experiences you read about on social media. I had good experience. I had good parents that loved me. And I walked away. And, and maybe even I've sat in church for all these years and I've just never received the promise of the gospel. Well, Esau's descendants give you a picture of what the Lord wants for you. The Lord wants you back, He wants you not just to receive the blessings of being near the promise. He wants you to come all the way back under the promise. And so here is the promise of God that is available to you. Now, we all are in deep need of forgiveness before him. Our greatest problem is sin and death, right? We have sinned against God and we're going to die and be judged. The promise he offers is through my son, Jesus, who died, who rose again from the dead, dying to pay for the sins of his people rising to secure eternal life for his people through that work that he has done. Anyone willing, even if it's the 500th time they've heard the preaching of the gospel, you can reject it 499 times and receive it on the 500th time. Anyone willing to receive that promise can have it today. All, right. All we must do is look to Jesus and say, Lord, save me. So there's a the thing I want to lead you with. leave you with. If you've spent many years in your life or maybe just many months or many days blessed by the people of God, blessed by the promises of God, but you never received it, receive that promise today. That gospel promise can be yours even right now. Let's pray together.